Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Before I introduce my guests, I need to start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show. And to continue to encourage you to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That's CEO at RainCanada.com. And if you're inclined, I'd really appreciate it if you were to share this show with your friends, your family, other people you know, and even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thank you again for the feedback you provide the team and I. It is definitely appreciated. Okay, I'm particularly excited about my guest today. She is the mother of a man I've known for nearly 20 years. Ben Ferreira is a friend of mine who I first met years ago when he was competing as a national and world-class competitive figure skater. But this interview is not about Ben at all. It's about his world-class mother. Sue Ferreira spent more than 40 years in the medical industry building an amazing career and reputation as a world-class and top-performing anesthesiologist. It's said that the longest journey many people take is from their head to their heart. And a change quite late in Sue's life in about 2007 set her in a new direction and a new path in her life's journey. I've invited Sue to join me on the show today to share a bit of her wisdom, a few of her life's lessons gained through her work, her relationship, her financial realizations, and most recently in her work in her new business, Wisdom to Wealth Mastery. And without further delay, my guest, ladies and gentlemen, Sue Ferreira. Sue Ferreira, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. So great to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you very much, Patrick. I am so honored to be here. I truly am. And I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, me too. You know, Sue, I want to give the uh, listener a bit of a background because as much as I know you to the degree I know you, I know your son far more and much better. And Ben Ferreira, of course, has been in my life for a long time. <laughs> He's got to be 20 years, you know, somewhere along there. Well, I must admit, in some ways, Patrick, I think you and Stephanie are more parents to my son than, than I am. So. Well, <laughs> he's a young man that uh, we hold close in our hearts, that's for sure. 
So Sue, this is this is about you, not about your son. Although he's a cool guy and he certainly uh, is worth a conversation, probably sometime uh, in this particular interview, this podcast, this conversation. But so tell me, you know, I want to open up for the listeners. Just who is Sue Ferreira today? And then I want to work backwards from how you got here. So 30 second, 60 second, whatever it is for you, kind of what is your, what's your background? What's your elevator pitch, Sue? So at the moment, Sue Ferreira is a very surprised entrepreneur who has reinvented her life in the last maybe five to seven years. And um, I reinvented my life in my second act because I saw a huge need for many entrepreneurs to move into this new world of the web and video. And I saw many who were hesitant and unwilling to do so. So many people have incredible wisdom. We have an opportunity to take our wisdom to the world, but you're going to do that these days with video and all the other cutting edge tools of the web. So basically I help you take your wisdom to the world and make you visible. Now, you did use the phrase that you're, I think you said you're reinventing yourself. Is that what, was that what I heard you say? It was reinvention. Is that what yeah, it was? Yeah, I have reinvented myself from my, my core first act. My second act is very different from my first. Now, first and second act. So my mother would probably slap my hand and my wife would say, never do this. You celebrated a birthday relatively recently. And um, so to give people an idea of what second act is for you, where are you in your life? Yep, yep, you're right. Um, actually, I hit 71 a few weeks ago. Last year was my 70th birthday, which was my kids gave me a fantastic celebration. So I am in that, you know, that age group, which now, you know, tread carefully, the older age group. Um, and uh, so I started transitioning from my old world to this world probably about 10 years ago. But at first, like so many things, when you decide you're going to move in a different direction, it was very tentative. I didn't know what I was doing. I was starting from sub-ground zero. And so over the last few years, and especially the last five years, I found my groove and I'm moving um, into this new world of an entrepreneur. And if I always say, if someone had said to me, even 11 years ago, that this is what I would be doing today, I've been on the floor in hysterics of laughter and said in your dreams. But things happen in life. They do. Now, let's go back a little bit because you had a, a really amazing career as a anesthesiologist, a pediatric anesthesiologist for many years. And I think you were based in Edmonton primarily, and then you moved to Victoria for a while. Is that correct? You've got it right. Yep, that's right. I did my uh, my original Canadian, my, my original training in the UK and became uh, a fellow of the Royal College of Anesthesiologists. And then my, my husband, sadly now my ex, and I moved to Canada in 76. And I've been mainly based uh, in Edmonton. And I had an amazing time uh, being an anesthesiologist at the Stollery Children's Hospital for many, many years, and then I, I moved later to Victoria. So I spent 44 years invisible in the OR. And, and you know, some of my friends have, have made the comment, uh, you know, you spent 40 years putting people to sleep, and, and now you're telling them how to wake up. So I think that's kind of a nice analogy. Beautiful. I love that. Now, when, let's go back a little bit. So you're in the UK, you're bringing up, because there's so many directions that I want to take this conversation or so many things I want to cover with you, because you came out of a great career. You're now an entrepreneur. 
when you came over from the UK, let's go back into your days in the UK. What were you doing as a young lady growing up? And what was your background, your family background? Because you're really accomplished. Did you come from a, and, and going to university and getting the education you got? Were you, how was your background uh, in, in your family life back in those days, Sue? When I was a kid, um, I lived in uh, pretty smallish towns in the West Country of the UK. I mean, it's lovely countryside. So I grew up, my dad was like a, a farming bank manager. So we always lived in fairly rural communities. We had enough money, but we're not we're not, you know, wealthy in any ways. My parents were wonderful. They gave me a very good, happy childhood. I'm one of the lucky few. But despite that, I have to be honest, by the time I was about seven, I'm thinking, I'm out of here. It, it was great, but I the, I guess I got a restless soul. And maybe I've still got a restless soul. And it was time, I always knew I was going further. And you know, it's a funny story. Dick Whittington and his cat, and you know, and his little stick and his red spotted handkerchief that he tied his belongings up in. That was my that was my favorite story as a kid. I was always going to go to London and that was the big world. So I did. I went to medical school in London. Um, I decided I was going to be a physician very early on, about when I was three. And uh, so from there on, you know, I went up to London. I loved my years at medical school, met my husband, we married, and then moved on into the conventional life as a physician, family, kids. Um, but, you know, the UK in the 70s was a was an unhappy country, very, very unhappy, a lot of political strife, a lot of social strife. And we had a lot of uh, several strikes in the in the health service. And then one day I was walking into work and uh, there were a whole load of people striking, people who were the kind of cleaners and everything in the hospital. And I walked through the uh, picket line and they assumed I was crossing the picket line because I was walking and no physician walks, right? They all come in in Bentleys. And I got whacked by a... Uh, of someone on the picket line and who called me a scab. And I thought, you know, I think I've had enough. And uh, at that point, we started to make plans to move to Canada. I love the wide open spaces too. I've never regretted the move. Canada has been a very, very good country to me. Now, I always think it's important that as people listen to this particular podcast, the context for it, you know, is just always, I always get grounded in seemingly ordinary people achieving extraordinary results. And your background is pretty plain Jane. It's nothing spectacular. You came up in somewhat of a middle-class home and I'm interested for you to hear, you know, you at, at a very young age, at three years old, you're kind of going, I want to be a doctor when I grow up. And at seven, you're going, I'm, you know, I, I want to travel or I want to get out of the house. You know, I've often heard those stories from successful people. And, you know, I'll use Celine Dion as an example. I mean, when she was five years old, she shares that she wanted to, she pictured herself on a stage singing to tens of thousands of people. And that, that was her at her core. And it sounds like you, were that way in terms of medical and and then the ultimate of course is that guess what you're gonna put your belongings in a handkerchief throw a stick over your shoulder and move to canada and um and so tell me about that a little bit about the journey into canada how did it feel when you were 
you're coming over? Was there lots of fear, trepidation? What were you experiencing back in those days, Sue? Well, it's, it's interesting. I think I did always have probably more than my my ex. Uh, I had a, I had this desire to move, to travel. I love this planet. I won't call it the planet anymore. I call it our mothership because I think we have to realize, you know, we're all in this together. And I'd always had the, the urge to see places. We came across initially in 1968, so eight years before we moved, we came across on something which still exists, which is called BUNAC, the British University's North America Club. And we came to North America to mainly to Colorado and the West. And that I loved the openness and the beauty of the countryside that we traveled in around. We went to all the national parks in the West. I mean, you name them, we went to them now. Then we went back to England and this political turmoil, this vicious, very vicious social strata engagement was going on, as I said, strikes everywhere. And by chance, we came to Canada to a conference in 1975. And we went back from that and we said, you know, we love the countryside north of the, you know, in the Rockies. We love Canada. Draw a line. So he drew a line west and a line north. And hey, what? Edmonton, Alberta. And at that point, we looked to come to Edmonton um, and we were lucky. We both, we had careers that were more marketable in, in, in the business world, but that, that were needed in medicine. And so we just upsold everything and came. And there was no trepidation. We left with the absolute certainty we would never go back. And it was really exciting. I remember, you know, coming over on the stretch DC-8, flying over all of those lands north of Edmonton and coming in, and it was really exciting. And I have to say, I've never regretted that move in a nanosecond in 40, no, 40-something years now. Wow. And along the way, you know, you're as an anesthesiologist, was there somewhere in the background that, you reinvented yourself. You're now an entrepreneur. Do you think there was some sense of that back in those days? Or was this, uh, I, I always say that, you know, back in about 1984, I had my entrepreneurial accident because I, at the time was the only job I ever had was in the oil field in those days. But I also, in, in those days, even when I was working, I knew that I wanted to be in business for myself from the time. I don't know. I think probably since I was late or even mid teens, being a business owner for me was something that I wanted to do and wanted to achieve and wanted to be. Did you have that as an anesthesiologist or were you just really in your career doing remarkable things? As I said, I am the most surprised entrepreneur on this planet. I can honestly say, Patrick, it was never there. I think, you know, that my career was so, I mean, you're busy as an anesthesiologist, especially in a in a high intensity environment, such as the University of Alberta and the Stollery, I didn't even have time to think about it. I always had another side of me, if you want, where I've always been fascinated with history, with social sciences. I used to teach the history of medicine because I love to see our lives, what's going on, like on the, I call it the time strip of eternity. So I was always reading on the other side and, and linking what I saw in medicine, what I saw socially, and bringing the two together. And I think if I look back, that other side of me was key in having this totally out of the blue passion that I've developed in my second act. So 
It was there maybe in terms of the reading I was doing, but it certainly wasn't there in my brain in that one day I want to own my own business. I was subsumed. I was absolutely 100% within medicine. Now, when you, you divorced when? 2007, the year before the crash, which was another slight, you know, thing that started moving me in this direction. Now, we, you know, many listeners on this particular podcast are real estate investors, but they're entrepreneurs, business owners. You went on a path for a little bit of real estate investing, at least looking at it. I don't know where you ended up or how real estate fits into your scheme of life these days. Uh, where, where is real estate for you these days, Sue? Well, I still have um, a couple of properties in Edmonton and um, and an investment in um, some apartments up there. I still think real estate is really important, and I would love to get back in real estate. At the moment, I'm now living in Victoria, and you know we've got a real estate boom going going on. So it, it's fascinating to see different places rise and fall with demographics a lot and with political stuff that happens outside the control of, you know, anyone who's who's within real estate in any particular area. So I still have a real interest in real estate, but I'm it's more like a passive way now, you know, in terms of getting uh, rental income and that kind of stuff. You know, as a female, as a woman, 2007, you're divorced, you go through that. Were you prepared for that? Were you frightened by going, gosh, I'm alone. I'm uh, now don't have a partner. How was, how did that land for you? And people go through relationship splits all the time, but how was it for you? What was your experience around that time as a woman coming out into the world, no longer with a partner? It was a bit of a shock. I tell you that it happened over a year or two, you know, as everything got sorted out, but no doubt if you asked me for what was probably the most pivotal personal change of my life it was going through that divorce and I mean nobody has a happy divorce it's not a comfortable situation but it did change me a lot and I think uh this whole thing because I was 60 uh when our divorce came through sure and I think if you look at the incidence of gray divorce it's rising it's becoming a significant issue for women especially but also for men there are a lot of people who are facing their later years with a reality that wasn't maybe their plan and it was difficult i i own it was it was it needed a big adjustment and i think part of that adjustment too was the common thing of realizing that my ex had taken care of the money side of life and here am i God almighty, I mean, I, I've heard of things like mutual funds, like, but do I know, do I really know it? And I didn't. So I went on this big splurge of educating myself as fast as I could. And, and you know, real estate was one of the vehicles that came up that I thought this makes sense. So yeah, you're, you're very astute, Patrick. It was a very, it was a difficult time. There's no doubt. In a recent podcast I did with a gentleman by the name of Dan Hare, he had written a book that in that book he had interviewed over 300 people age 65 to 100. And the book was called Regrets, I've Had a Few. And in that research that he did, he talked to many people at, once again, 65 and older. And part of the regrets they had or some of the regrets that they stated were that old age, if you will, if you use that term, but their age snuck up on them. And then one day they woke up and they realized they weren't prepared. They weren't prepared financially. And 
it sounds a little bit like in your case, you had come become dependent on your partner, which we, I guess, over that many years of marriage, we all do. I mean, I've been married 25 plus years. So you all of a sudden wake up, not one day, but you realize that your partner has been doing a, a big job of looking after you financially and you had to kind of, it snuck up on you. What would you give for guidance to somebody's younger who in all of that? So divorce aside, what did you learn in that journey that you would have done differently? Well, it was something I tried, I must admit, to understand what was going on. But somehow, you know, you're busy. You've got a, an intense profession. You've got three kids. And as we'll come, maybe come back to, I've got a son who's a world level uh, athlete. There's a lot going on. And I was actually probably the breadwinner. I certainly earned more, but that doesn't, you know, that levels out. Uh, and I was, I was much more involved with the kids. So although I tried to understand what was going on with our finances and what he was doing, I never was fully up to speed. And you're right, it isn't divorce, right? Stuff can happen in life. I mean, I worked in, in emergency departments, right? Boom, one accident, your life changes. So my advice would be, for goodness sakes, know what you, what's going on. Whether if you're in a relationship, you have to know every single thing about your finances. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, you have to know because stuff happens in this life and things can change and turn on a dime. And you can be almost hanging out to dry if you don't know where you are and what the projections are for your future. It's huge then we know it's a big issue. It is such a big issue. And I'm blessed to have so many great guests on my podcast. And a lady by the name of Jane Blofus, who wrote with a stroke of a pen. And now that I think about it, Sue, that's a lady you need to meet and talk to. She's wonderful. But to your point, she woke up one day, you know, to a beautiful day and sent her husband off and he was a pilot. And the next thing she knew, he had crashed an airplane and he and the people on the plane that he was flying were killed in that accident. And in that moment, life changed. Yep. Now you working in the operating room, were seeing those kinds of things happen to people on an ongoing basis. And, and because you're an anesthesiologist, I don't believe that you were too much of the follow-up care. I don't believe that's the case, but you must have known or realized that person's life had changed forever in that moment. And how, did you ever wonder how prepared they are? Did you ever hear stories afterwards, Sue? No, but I always thought about it. Um, actually, you've given me kind of shivers down my backbone with that story because it brings back just that thing. I would often, you know, I'd go out to receiving and I, cause you know, I did adult patients as well. And, and even if it's a kid, I mean, a kid with a diagnosis of a terminal illness is a massive shift for a family. It's a hugely traumatic experience. And, and I did always think about the family and think, oh, shit, you know, um, I wonder if they know. Oh, I get emotional. I wonder if they really know how their life is going to play out from here. I mean, people grow. They deal with it. They dig deep. But it is a massive, uh, it's a massive shift and, and it can happen to us all. I mean, just going as an aside, it happened to me again last year. I was, I was going, I got this business going and I got diagnosed with breast cancer last August. And it's like, ah, geez, this is highly inconvenient right now. I've got momentum. 
And then so for six months, I got sideswacked a bit. Uh, I'm back up and running again now. But these things happen with regularity. And I just think we do need to prepare for eventualities. I, you know, I don't want to be gloomy or, or anything like that. But the common phrase is shit happens. Shit does happen. And so when you got diagnosed with breast cancer, Sue, being in the medical field, how did that land for you? Does it land differently uh, knowing as much as you know? Or, I mean, it's still a shock at any, you know, at any time. Uh, you know, I, I totally get that. I'd like to know from you, how did that, as a medical professional, when you were diagnosed with breast cancer, what's kind of goes through your mind at that time? You know, I've asked, been asked that by a few people, and it's a very, very good question. I think, ultimately, it made it a lot easier for me. I I knew the system. I knew the path. I mean, I've been involved in patients with breast cancer for 40 years. I, I, once I, I actually knew I had it before. I had the mammogram, the biopsy, everything. So nothing was a surprise. And that's odd because... I didn't actually have a lump, but I knew. Uh, and that's that's another kind of woo-woo thing, which I find fascinating, but I did know. And so I knew where what my path would be. I knew the surgeons that I wanted to work on me. I knew what my options were, as you basically go down an algorithm of treatment. So I think for me, I was lucky. It made It made it much easier. I actually have a friend a very good friend who is up for the same thing uh, next Monday. And I've talked to her a lot because she doesn't have that same sense of the algorithm, the path, it's where this is going. So for me, I, I think um, I think it made it a lot easier. And, um, and then I was very fortunate. I got it early and I didn't need chemo and radiation, which is a huge, which is a huge plus. But yeah, I think being in the know makes it a lot simpler. And for me, that was the case. Did you catch it early because you're, of your awareness around just looking after your body, looking after yourself, or was it by fluke that you came across it? It was actually very, very strange, Patrick. Uh, I was in the UK last summer uh, because um, my daughter was married and we were having, she was married in Europe and we were having celebrations there. And I was driving between different parties on my own and I just had a sense I mean, like, it's it's bizarre. I just had a sense there was something in my left breast. There was no pain. There was maybe every now and then a dullness. But the extraordinary thing is I actually could delineate it when I had the MRIs. It was exactly where I knew it was and the extension of how, because it was quite a big area. And I have no explanation about that. I think if I had been traveling with someone else and I was chatting, I might have missed it. I might have missed it completely, but I was on my own. My arms were like this. There was a heavy feeling. That was it. And the funny thing is, when I came back home to Victoria and I got my held mail, there is my my invitation to go for my two-yearly mammogram. It's like the universe is telling me something. It's fascinating, isn't it? You know, a few years ago when I was a hard-nosed anesthesiologist, I just said, oh, load of bullshit, all this woo-woo, but I've, I've changed my tone. I hear that change in you, by the way, uh, in terms of, I don't say I hear a change, but I hear that softening because you were in a world of intellect. You were in a world of, 
you know, science and doing all of the things. So it's very intellectual. And there's certainly a softer edge about Sue than I would. I happen to know a couple of anesthesiologists. So there's certainly a softer edge about you. I want to just check in a little bit because when we talk to so many RAIN members, the Real Estate Investment Network, as many of the listeners on this particular podcast are, we talk about financial preparedness. And you went through the divorce, the realization that, holy cow, I got to get a handle on what my financial state is and where I am. Even though I'm sure you were quite comfortable financially, that doesn't mean that you are prepared for the life of living to 100 or 110 or whatever that number is for you. And then you have a a medical, a, a health scare had you prepared for that, for the, we all have the inevitability. We all know death and taxes, right? Are, are those two things that we can count on? Did you really go on a mission at the time to financially set yourself up, make sure things are in order? So your family, your friends, whatever that is for you are really understanding where you're at and, and that's looked after. And I mean, even beyond a will, just, did you go down that path as well, Sue? So there's, there's two different times here. The first one was after my divorce in 2007, uh, where I was discovering, you know, how to look after my own finances and make investments. And I think 2008, the crash happened the next year. And that was a huge event for me because I had actually, and it's embarrassing, uh, I had this vision and I don't do visions, right? But as, as it was crashing, I suddenly saw the millions of people who were going to lose homes, houses, everything. Uh, and that was very pivotal in my saying, I think I have the skills or I can find the skills to help people recover from this. But it also made me say, okay, I cannot rely on, and, and it made me move to real estate too. I cannot rely on my investments. There will be other crashes. I'd already seen this longevity in the OR of people living to 95 and older in really good condition. And I thought I have to do something that will that will allow me to generate my independence and generate income for myself and help other people doing it at the same time. So that was number one was, yeah, I was comfortable. Uh, I could afford to start investigating uh, how to help others build their world back after the crash. So that was one thing. Uh, after my cancer, I mean, I talked to my, no, I ha- you know, I should probably go and do that. I didn't really sit down with the kids and say, this is where I am today. And I, I probably should. Uh, I think I, you know, when you're starting up an entrepreneurial business, you're, you're doing stuff. And that side really hasn't, uh, hasn't come into my consciousness. So thank you. I will put that on the list. I want to investigate that. Because I talk to many, many people and, you know, my mom's 90, you know, and my dad passed away a couple of years ago, but my mom is 90 and we started having the conversation many years ago about how are they prepared for when they pass on? You know, my mom and dad were both, they were locked down, their will was in place. I mean, they're pretty simple. I mean, they're, you know, they have their bungalow and, and classic couple back in those days, you know, and so everything was very basic, very simple, but they were, they were pretty open about it, open about the conversation and said, you know, you got four kids and we're splitting it four ways and have a nice day. And here's what my assets are. And, and that was great for you at now at 70 plus, 
why haven't you, why do you think you haven't had the conversation? Because so many people go, I don't know how to talk to my mom and dad about it because, and I'm really concerned because I see them and I'm worried about them and I'm worried for them. And I don't want to have to figure this all out after they're gone because it's so much work. And, you know, how do we do that? So is there, is there something that you have a realization right now as we're having this conversation too? And I'm not trying to catch you off guard, but I'm just trying to learn what would you say it is for you that might be the block from you having the conversation with your kids? I don't know if that's an offside question or not, but I'm no, just no, interested. I mean, I, I love this. This is discovery time. I think in a way, maybe I thought I already had got it covered. I mean, you know, I've got a good will. I've, it's the usual thing, set everything up, split it three ways. And I, I until a couple of years ago, until I really got involved in, uh, in trying to build this business, I actually have a, you know, a, a data, an Excel sheet with everything on it, and uh, and it's in my will, and the, the you know the, the the password to it is there. So I probably thought that was enough, but I think you are right. I think I need to um, I need to go further and let the kids know where where things are. And, and I'm, I've done things like you know I've I've got a uh, I've got an end of life directive. I've got a power of attorney for one of my kids. They know that I have no regrets in my life. I've already had that conversation. If I snuff it tomorrow, kids, I want a big piss up wake. I don't want any gloom and funeral. I, you know, I've enjoyed this life, but I think I should go back and update my spreadsheet uh, with updated details. I think that's a, a very wise uh, question. Thank you. It's interesting that I find that over the past, I guess it's been about six years now, I've lost two sisters slightly older than I am today. And I, I'm about to turn 60 and both lost to cancer. And my life is really complicated, to be honest with you, just because I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a real estate investor, Stephanie's an entrepreneur, we have businesses going on. And I feel that it's my responsibility to be really clear and it's very difficult to be able to communicate what's going on and, and to track it. And so that, you know, if something happened tomorrow, can my daughter, can my remaining family be able to sort through it? And number one, it's an emotional time and how do they even look at it and all of the rest of it and being responsible around that. And the one thing that one of my sisters, for example, when you talk about passwords and, and really this podcast is about people learning. So I'm, I'm hoping they're hearing this from a Gosh, you know, here's some things to pay attention to. But interestingly enough, we, you know, they didn't have password for her for her Facebook and her other social media feeds. And how do we get that shut down? And and her life was really quite basic, you know. And, and her and her husband both jobs and owned a home and just really fundamental stuff, which is awesome. But gosh, even unwinding that was complicated because she didn't have all of those little details handled. So I guess in this conversation, it's just a story for people to get that stuff looked after. It's, it's not easy. It's not fun. It's kind of, oh my gosh, I don't even know all my passwords. Where do I put it? How do I store it? But to actually focus on that. And uh, that goes back to the story around Jane Blofus and the, uh, the stroke of a pen. So let's talk about where you're at today, Sue, because gosh, you're you're at a point in your life where you're reinvented, you sound re-energized. And I want to just not step over one thing. You came from this world of being an intellect. Now, tell me, was there a time when you just said, did you quit being an anesthesiologist because it was time to retire, you were 60-something, or 
what how did that happen when when did you draw that line in the sand I think after the 2008 uh, crash, you know, it's really, it was a slow, slightly exponential thing. You know, it starts slowly, your mind starts going. And I started thinking about doing something other than medicine. I, I really didn't, I had, I had no idea I would end up talking to you today about this. But so what I started doing, I, luckily anesthesia gives you the option to kind of drop a day. So instead of working five days and everything else, I dropped a day. So I'd work four days and then three. And I, the other days I would switch to trying to build this business. And then when I was 68, you know, you have a pivotal moment. It was, it was like 2.15 in the morning and I was trying to put an epidural in a woman who weighed about 450 pounds who was telling me to fuck off. And I thought, oh, I think I'm done nights. So I quit working nights and weekends at 68. And then that gave me the freedom to just drop more days and slowly move from one to the other. I think uh, I certainly wouldn't advise anyone who wants to reinvent themselves in their later years to give up their day job or whatever they do for a source of income cold turkey unless they really know that they can they can make an income on their in their new world so i did it slowly over a period of probably 10 years but especially over the last five i i dropped a day at a time and then moved into this new world and you know sometimes it was funny it was difficult to go into the or one day and then work on building this business the next day you know the mind had to go backwards and forwards which sometimes took a little while to make the switch so you were being an anesthesiologist and number one, I mean, in, I think in you're uber qualified, you're great at it, you're high demand. So somewhere along the line, you were also kind of preparing your exit. Where did the thought process around wealth mastery or the term wisdom to wealth mastery, where did that start showing up for you? And, and was there a tipping point? I mean, it sounds like, okay, you hit a, you know, a bad epidural and a, bitchy woman and you're going, okay, I'm done. So, but what, what started to draw you over the line to say, gosh, I think I want to take on being an entrepreneur and, and building a business. I think it was the realization after the crash of how many people, especially women, and especially, I, you know, it's, it's from your own personal experience, isn't it? I went through a divorce, then there was the crash. And then I'm seeing people in the OR getting older and older and older. And, 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 I, and I read the stuff. We know the stats on financial preparedness for most people in North America and Europe. I mean, it's awful. So I just put all of those four together. And I thought, you know, these, I started, I had a lot of friends as I started this who were in business, who were, who were entrepreneurs trying to run their own businesses. And I saw them struggle massively. You know, I've always been fairly web aware and web savvy. And I knew that if they were going to make that next jump, they needed to make it to the web. And I've, you know, I've got fairly good web skills. So I, I built on, on my web skills and the idea of taking them, taking their wisdom from the small real world into the virtual world. And it, this whole concept, which is, you know, of one to a few to one to the world. And it, that's where wisdom to wealth came, wisdom to wealth mastery, how to take your wisdom to a much wider audience. And I, I still find that it's a really big challenge for women, especially to make that transition to the virtual world uh, and use video. Uh, visibility is 
is a tough thing for many women. Men do it much better. Why do you think it's a challenge for women? Just out of curiosity, do you have a, now that you've been kind of in that world for a while, do you see a pattern or what is it? Yeah, it's self-esteem and mindset. Women beat themselves up massively. They are not confident. I mean, I, when I get someone to do their first video, I wait for them to say, oh, my hair's not right, I can't do it today, or I need to lose 10 pounds. There's always this internalization of people won't like me. I look lousy on camera. They're going to laugh at me. It's so deeply ingrained. And, and it does take a, it takes a shift in mindset, a big shift in mindset to say, hey, I'm 71. I don't give a stuff when anybody feels I got this message. I'm taking it to the world. And even, you know, for people who are younger, it's um, for women, it is a massive step to take. And yet I, I, they won't be empowered and they won't build their business today unless they can make that step. So I help them make that step. Was it that way for you at some point when you were younger as well that you were, did you struggle with those self-esteem issues as a woman or that kind of judgment of yourself? Or have you always been pretty clear and going, this is who I am. This is what I represent. And quite frankly, I don't give a shit what you think about me. I where I'm going. Most of my life, uh, that was destroyed for about four years over my divorce. One of my kids said to me, mom, what's happened to you? Your self-esteem is in the boots. And so that was a, and that's something I remember, you know, because at that stage I hadn't told the kids that, that things were not as good as they were. And, uh, but I think this process of rebuilding myself has been, it's wonderful. It is transformational. And yeah, I, now I'm back, but there was a time I totally understand where a lot of women are, and probably some men as well, uh, in terms of having the confidence to say, this is me, I'm here, this is my message, and, and then taking it out there. It's a challenge for a lot of people. Give me a little bit about your model in terms of you're supporting people to take themselves out into the world using uh, video or social media, websites. Is it any part of their business or what is, who's your client? Well, my classical client is, uh, my core client is a woman entrepreneur, coach, author, anyone who is in that milieu who has a business that is based in the real world and who knows they need to expand and move out into the virtual world to gain more clients and generate more income. The world has changed in the last 10 years in terms of the way you can market yourself. And in truth, if you are not gaining attention, if you're not visible, if you are not findable in the online world, it's going to be very difficult to, to grow your business and even survive in business, I think, increasingly. So I, I, I take the, the woman who is unsure about moving into the, into the virtual world, the woman who really um, is, is unsure about technology, and I, I help them be confident, I help them with their message, and I help move them out with video, and I make it simple. I think one of the things that I didn't expect to bring from medicine is the clarity of action when when you need to do something. I mean, if, if I go to the, if I go to Emerge and there's a sick kid, I would go ABC, bang, 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 do this. And I would cut any of the peripheral kind of panic and stuff going on. And I brought that to, to my ability to coach now. I can say, don't do that. Don't do this. This is irrelevant. Do this. 
and um, and move them forward into being comfortable on video and comfortable with their message. You come out of the OR, you've got the medical background, you're 70 plus years old, you've got lots of energy, you're reinventing yourself. What guidance are you giving people, given your background in the medical field and seeing what you've seen on the, on the operating table? You've seen both, you know, the tragedy of people maybe not looking after themselves really well. But as you said earlier, you're also have had 95 year old women on the operating table getting a hip replacement because they've got some walking in to do. And so how have you found yourself? How are you, are you very health conscious? Are you really focused on looking after yourself physically, exercise, diet, those kinds of things? What guidance would you give to somebody who's going through their life let's say at even 45 or 50 years old, because really it's our habits today that create our futures. Our future is now. So I like to try and re- personally, I try and remain very active. I watch my diet fairly closely because I'm looking down the road and I'm going, you know, my mom is 90 and I want to be like my mom at 90, I, you know, maybe even more energetic than she is. So what was it for you? What have you learned along the way? If you're giving guidance that you probably do even to the women that you're working with, but what's some guidance that we would give to listeners on this podcast, Sue? I would just echo everything you've just said, Patrick. I think there's a couple of things. First of all, I think even me, I mean, I'm 71 now. I know I'm, I could well get other hits, but I won't be surprised if I live to 120, which is 50 years from now. That is a long time. There's stuff coming down the pipe that is going to do incredible things for our longevity. It's not just going to be the constant increase that we've seen uh, over the last 50 years. And our increasing in longevity was one of the big things that hit me over my 50 years in medicine. So first of all is, I think you're better prepared. You are going to live a long time, especially if you do, you are health conscious in any way. And I certainly am. I mean, I've got a bit of the old aches and pains, but I I try to keep fit. I try to eat healthily. And and you are absolutely right. What we do today determines, apart from, you know, the vagaries of life, how who we will be in the future. But these old ladies in their 90s really, really spoke to me. Mid-90s. Ah, I remember one saying, I'm so excited. I'm getting my second knee in a year and I'm ready to go back to my Tai Chi and my gardening. You would never have seen that even 10 years ago. And they're funny. They're alive. They're wise. I just love those days with these older ladies. And that's going to continue. So I think prepare for the fact that you will live a long time. Live every day of your life. For goodness sakes, it's still on the time, the timeline of eternity. We're still not here for long. And you brought up something earlier that for me is very relevant is make sure you live your life to the full so you don't have any regrets. My dad, when he died, had regrets. And um, I found that very, very difficult. Uh, My mother died first and he didn't expect that. And his last few years were, I should have, I should have taken your mom to Italy. I should have taken your mom here. And he was retired for 30 years on a pension. And I just thought, dad, you should have, you could have, you didn't. And I just think that's maybe, I think that's a powerful, it's a powerful life lesson for me, seeing my dad die with regrets that I will never die with regrets. I will live every day fully and I will make myself as healthy and have as much fun as I can. It, it, you know, I have a mantra that I woke up this morning 
it's a good day. And that's what I say to myself every morning. And I, I just think we're incredibly lucky to be here and be conscious. So that's my philosophy. That's a great philosophy. And as you're guiding and counseling some of your clients, because ultimately you're a coach and it isn't all the intellect around business. And I'm sure you're having conversations with uh, women and, and others. We hear the term still used today around retirement and preparing for retirement. So as you have those conversations with others that are talking about retirement, what does it mean for you? And, and what are you hearing or what are you seeing that is shifting because you talk about even in the past 10 years, you see the difference in people overall. And when you think about retirement for yourself or you have conversations with others, what does that represent to you these days? <laughs> Good question, Patrick. I'll be quite honest. I think retirement no longer will exist. It's an X kind of concept. And if you think about it, it only started in about 1870 in Germany uh, with Bismarck, who, who produced a, a state pension for people over the age of 65, when he knew darn well that most people would have snuffed it by 65. So you know, it, it was a good uh, philosophy for the German government at the time. But I think that you know we know that times have changed. If you're going to live a long time, there's several different parts, but if you're going to retire at 60 and you're going to live to 120, are you really going to twiddle your thumbs and sit on the sofa for 60 years when you've only worked 40 of the previous 60? I mean, it is, it's a non-starter. It is not sustainable. It's not sustainable for you as a person. It's not sustainable, certainly, in any kind of social way that you can be basically sitting and draining the pot for 60 years. So I, pensions, we know, are going the way of the dodo. And that's another reason I feel it is, you know, you can feel it in my soul. I am passionate about people realizing that things are changing fast and that they probably will live a long time. And how are they going to do it? I mean, I look at this, you know, you look at the articles about how much do you need? Oh, you'll be fine on 700,000. And I'm thinking, come on. You know, it's just the kind of how much do you need to retire is unrealistic even if you've got a, a a good defined benefit pension, you know, if you look in the States, those pensions are disappearing or being clawed back. I just think everybody needs to make themselves able to generate income in some way separate from the retirement concept we've been fed. I, I just don't think it's sustainable anymore. And it was interesting. I was talking to someone um, who's invited me to speak in Las Vegas, and she said she has noticed that the the kind of croupiers and the people working the casinos in Las Vegas have changed from kids in their 20s to mostly women and older people. Um, and I think you're seeing a reflection of the fact that older folks really know that they're in trouble and they need a job. And uh, so you can either have a job for the rest of your life or you can, you can find some way of generating income using the wisdom and knowledge you have. Within the Real Estate Investment Network, we're often using the phrase and talking about financial freedom by design, by, mm -hmm. you know, a, a financially certain future and creating that and understanding that, gosh, we are going to live a long time. And it, it is, you know, that's because of advancements in nutrition, advancements in medical care and understanding, you know, that we have all of those 
opportunities really means that we have to plan and embrace always what's going on. So we talk about, as much as we talk about financial futures, I go back to if we are planning for our health, we have to, like our financial futures, we have to plan for it, which means at a younger age, we got to, we have to look after ourselves. That's once again, that's like a planning for your financial future. This is planning for your financial health. And in a recent, some recent research I did and some articles that I've read, the realization that at the end of the day, the realization that one of the things that contributes the most to longevity is social interaction. Hanging out with people, being part of others' lives, being a contribution, having significance, having relevance. And I see that, you know, what energizes you at this point in your life as you reinvent yourself is really the contribution you're being to the other women in building their brand and, and helping them grow their businesses. And is that kind of what fires you up? You know, is that really a, a, about purpose for you? Yeah, yeah, you, you're very, you're very wise. Uh, yeah, it really is. I, I, I don't ever want to be a burden. Uh, if I've got something to give, and I've still got something that will help other people lead better lives, I'm going to be doing it. And I find it quite sad, going back to this concept of retirement, that people think they're going to retire just when they've got all this wisdom. And that's that's why I chose, it's not knowledge, it's wisdom. It, you know, you've been knocked about in life a bit and you have this wisdom when you're older and you can give back such wisdom. And, and especially with, you know, we know there's another 3 billion people coming online in the next four years. And they're people who, you know, who will be able to soak up your wisdom too. I mean, they're going to be looking for it. Um, okay. Even though other forces are trying to close borders these days, I just know that for me, I always will want to give back. Maybe it's, it's been in my soul forever. I've always wanted to be in a giving business, but, um, for me, yeah, I, I have friends who are retired and I, I, you know, it's great. They're traveling and all that kind of stuff, but it's not what I want for my future. How much work have you done, Sue, when we talk about wisdom, when you come out of the medical world that you come out of, which is, like you said, which isn't a criticism or, or, or anything like that. It's not being critical, but it's a very intellectual world. I mean, gosh, you got to be smart. You got to have that brain fired up. How much self-discovery, what has the journey been for you in, in connecting, you know, to your heart, to getting out of your head in that intellectual way? Massive. Absolutely massive. And, you know, uh, again, you know, I get shivery thinking about this. Uh, I still have a lot of friends in medicine, but I know I am, I have shifted. I mean, they kind of roll their eyes and say, oh, Christ, she's gone California woo-woo. I know I am in a very different place. I like where I am now. And I think the tough thing about medicine, and there's a huge amount of criticism of the medical profession these days, uh, I, I think you, you can't survive dealing with really horrible situations day after day unless you put up a shield. And if you are on the front line of medicine, as I was, you have to put up that shield to survive. And for me, coming out of medicine, it's been a huge personal journey to 
knock down that shield. And I'll tell you a story, which I might get emotional about, which happened to me about three months ago. I was speaking at an event in Vancouver, and the first woman was an amazing lady called Elisa Hayes, who lives in Seattle, who's in a wheelchair. And she was telling her story about being hit by an 18-wheeler truck. And she was talking about her accident and how it changed her life. And I was the next speaker. And I um, I had to go get mic'd up. But then she put up, I mean, it, it, it's triggers. She put up a photo of her x-rays. And she said, the surgeons looked at my pelvis and didn't know if they'd be able to put it together again. And that that x-ray triggered me to burst into tears. And that was two, three months ago. I was so surprised because that had never happened to me before. And it showed me how much I've shifted and how much I probably couldn't go back into medicine now because I couldn't put that shield up again. I don't think maybe I could, but that I actually had, as she came off the stage and I was going on the stage, I talked to her, we both burst into tears and I actually had to go on the stage in tears and say, hey, I'm going to have to change my talk a bit. So that shift to the heart centered from the, I got to keep my safe here and just deal with the situation has been a huge and massive shift for me. That disconnect, I'm sure, just absolutely had to live because ultimately, you know, you're, you're, gosh, you're dealing with children and families and I think in the medical profession, it would really have to, like you say, that shield would have to be there, but it also might, so getting connected to your, to who you are and to a new purpose in life, uh, was there a, was there a tipping point? I mean, you have this awareness around it now. But was there was there an event? Was there a particular tipping point that kind of took you in that direction, or did it just start to happen and unfold naturally, Sue? I think it was a slow progression. I think it started with my marriage busting up, and that was a journey of self-discovery, why, what had gone wrong, who am I? And it just accelerated. And and I I I don't know if you agree, but I think it's never ending once you're on that path. I know that that who am I? What can I do? What am I capable of? This is where I want to go. I know I can do it, but I'm not there yet. I, those questions continue every day and I just follow them every day. And, and I try to do the same for my clients because it's the mindset that stops us. And we all know that video is kind of like the icing on the cake. It's the mindset to say, I want to move out into this world. I, what mindset do I need? So for me, it was a slow process and it's an ongoing process. The discovery of mindset, this is for me an interesting conversation. I mean, I've been blessed to be on a, started my journey many, many years ago. And, and, you know, my wife, Stephanie was of course the biggest impact on that for me and understanding that the intellect is something you need, but it's not where I make my decisions from and hasn't been for a long, long time. And in the development of mindset, you get those individuals, the intellects who go, just get shit done. How do you do it? Give me the tactic. Give me the strategy and we'll get stuff done. You know, suck it up. You know, what are you crying about? Or or what, what are you talking about being your heart? Like they, there's not a relatedness to it. And then to your point on the journey of self-discovery, it never really stops because you're always looking at how you can be better, how you can improve. I, I call it both a blessing and a curse. And 
because it's <laughs> it's still hard work. <laughs> so I don't, you know, I guess I, I don't know where I'm going with that particular question or that direction of thought. In the world of real estate, you know, we have a vast array of careers and people in the room and it's fascinating. But within two minutes, I'll tell you if I'm talking to an engineer every single time. Certain careers or certain career paths or people that they have, I just... I've just talked to so many thousands of people. You see that commonality in those kinds of things. And so for me, understanding that if people could grasp the concept that mindset is really incredibly important to not only your success, but your fulfillment in life, your happiness, how you view the world. And as you've now gone on your journey, when you look back in reflection, because I found I know we have no regrets, but you sometimes cringe about a little bit about, oh my gosh, I don't believe I was that way back then. And I believe that. <laughs> you hit the, you've just hit the nail on the head, Patrick. I mean, for me especially, I mean, I grew up in the UK immediately post-World War II. And that was like another world. And I did grow up in... I mean, I heard it over and over again, stiff upper lip, don't talk about your feelings. We don't discuss those subjects. I mean, I think the most deep subject that we ever discussed in my childhood was the weather. And that that's the patterns that you I took onto myself. And so in a way, yeah, intellectually, I loved the sciences and medicine suited me because I could I could keep that, I could keep that wall up. And I could help people without having to look inside me. And so I understand exactly what you're saying. And I look back and I think, oh, holy smokes. Yeah, I was a very different person. And my kids know they see this change in the last few years. Would I have wanted to stay as I was? Heck no. I am, I will often say, Tragic though it was and difficult it was at the time, my divorce was the best thing that happened to me because it allowed me to become who I am today. And I would never want to go back to the stiff upper lip way again. Uh, this is such an enriched life. Uh, I, um, I'm just written, I'm a very lucky lady. When you're working with your clients and are you able to differentiate, are you able to see where the individuals that you're working with, because as a coach myself, and, and I don't do it, and I, I say I don't want to use the term coach because I just, I don't take coaching clients, but I am, um, my life really is, you know, part of my purpose is people being their best selves and living their best lives. And when people are in my space, I'm always wanting that for them. And do you, as you're working with your clients, do you see the difference between the individual that comes to you with the intellect? Just tell me how, tell me how, tell me how. And, and do you get to a point where you go, I can tell you how, but you first learn, need to learn how to be. You first need to discover who you are and the hows will come based on that. Do you see that differentiation, Sue? Oh, it's huge. Um, you, hit, you, you, you said something about talking to the engineer. And I have the same, I, I mean, you, you probably find the same thing. I can tell by the way the words that are used, by the posture, by everything that comes to me pretty much 
where someone is on their mindset journey. And, it, and for a while, I thought it'd be really nice to just say, okay, forget about the mindset, let's just do the tech stuff. And that's kind of going back to my anesthesia will cause it's easier, but it doesn't work. So I have to go at the beginning to who is the person, where are they on that journey of self-awareness? Because it makes a difference. There is, I don't know if you agree, there is no shortcut. You have to go along that entire road of understanding yourself if you're going to be successful. You cannot, you, there's no shortcuts. So for me, it's defining where that person is and then helping them from that point on. And, and I'll be honest, sometimes I can't help them. So I will send them to someone who will do more mindset work to get them to a place where I can help them more with video. It's pointless my trying to push someone who's not ready and who's not at that stage of actualization or whatever you want to call it. I, I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's a process and you can't shortcut it. For me and in my own work and working with others, when we talk about success and the podcast is called The Everyday Millionaire, but the reason I dig into these kinds of conversations is that success comes from all of the things that we've talked about and that it is a journey and that it is about self-discovery. It isn't like, okay, I'm going to go tell you how to make a million dollars because guess what? We tell people how to go make money and to generate revenue and generate income every day. We can tell you tasks. We can tell you strategies. We can tell you all the things that intellectually will totally make sense. But ultimately, how you have to be, who you have to become to achieve that goal is really what the journey is. And I use that time and time again, and it's very difficult sometimes for people to grasp that concept is that the goal is just the goal. That's an outcome. It's who you have to become to achieve the goal. That really is the goal. Because whatever you achieve, guess what? There's going to be something next after that. And in defining, you know, what it takes to be an everyday millionaire, it really is about a journey. It is about being aware of your journey. And that's why I ask questions like tipping point. That's why I ask you, and, I, and I'm interested in what got you to where you are today, because you're living this great life and you are intentional about your life and you've had a great career. But as you sit today, you're probably, I get a sense that you're probably even more enthusiastic today than you were 20 years ago or 15 years ago, or maybe 40 years ago, who knows? And you're more excited about your life and where you're going. And, and it really was about self-discovery. Yep. You, you said it perfectly. And that question is whenever I get to a certain point, a goal, if you want to say something on the journey, the next question, the first question I always ask is now, who do I have to become? Because that, that's a question I love. And um, I'm, I'm, I love that you said it first, because it is, it is who do I have to become to do what I want to do. And, and you know, it, 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 some people can get there quicker than others, but, but I, I still don't think, I, I think you just have to go through the process and work out who you need to become to accomplish whatever you want. Now, why do you, and maybe I'm, I'm misinterpreting what you're saying, but it sounds like you are, you're, so you're taking women on a journey of branding, of getting their product, their service, whatever it is they're doing, their business out there. Why did you focus on women, Sue? 
I actually don't focus on women. It, I'm quite happy to take men as well, but there were circumstances that maybe focus on women. First of all, we still live longer. By the time you get to 100, women are outnumbering men five to one. Wow. So, yeah, it's huge, isn't it? Now, that, that gap is closing, but at the moment it's five to one. And, I, and women go into uh, their later years more, on average, overall, more financially disadvantaged than men. Uh, they, they, you know, they've looked after the kids. They've had the kids. They often, I mean, even in Canada today, uh, if you, there's no pay equity. For every dollar a man earns, a woman earns about 87 cents. Frankly, that pisses me off, but that's another story. So there are many reasons that women are more, and then we have the self-esteem thing, right? So there are many reasons that women are uh, more challenged going into their later years and live longer. So they naturally are a bigger uh, number in my practice, but uh, practice is, yeah, I'm back to medicine in my business, but, but I'm not exclusively on women, but they are the ones who have the challenges. Uh, so that's just the way it pans out. And I guess probably having been through a similar thing myself, I understand I have the empathy for where they are. And because I'm older, I know where they're going. If you're giving a piece of advice to women that are listening to this particular podcast, and you brought up the, you talk about self-esteem in so many women. It's, it seems, you know, and I, and I know it's in men too, but this is about women in the conversation. What would be uh, one or two pieces of guidance that you would give them, Sue? Is there anything that stands out for you? I would, that's a really, that's a difficult question. It depends a lot to me on what they want, what their goals are. And if they do have big, hairy goals, I would just say, take action. Just, just start searching for a person, a mentor, who can help you on your journey. I think it's, it's really sad if I, and I do see this, some women and men with great potential who can't take that step. And it is a question back to mindset and the courage to take that step. I just say, take it. You will, you will learn and you might fail, but that doesn't matter. You will grow. And, and for me, for our short time we have on this planet, why not grow? So if you haven't got a big hairy goal and you want to stay exactly where you are, well, that's fine. You might have a bit of problem down the road. But if you do want to, to change things, grasp the nettle, take action and, and move forward and find a mentor who can help you move to where you want to be next. So be brave, be courageous, get some support. Yeah. Yeah. Now you use the term practice. And as we kind of wind down a little bit on this particular conversation, Sue, tell me, do you have a, a routine in terms of your health and wellness, your spiritual, I guess, well-being? Do you have a practice that you have or are you... I'm I'm an early riser. It's not uncommon for me to be up at 4.35 a.m. and I journal and I write and I read and I meditate and I do all the things that I do and I train. And and do you have a routine that you follow through in, in the course of a day? Yeah, and I'm, I'm actually in the process uh, of making it even more structured. Uh, I, I'm, I'm an early riser. I mean, I was started in the OR at 7. I've always been up at 5 to 5.30. And that hasn't changed since I moved out of medicine. I love those early hours. I live right on the edge of the inner harbor here in Victoria. 
to get up, be grateful for having woken up and to sit and think about what I'm going to do that day. Looking at the harbor and, you know, there was a deer on the beach a couple of days ago. That kind of thing fills me with intense gratitude. And then I love those golden hours in the morning. For me, they're always my most productive hours. And I will work, I know, I, I, I know, I plan the night before what I'm going to do the next day. I far, follow them through. And I always try to get at least my 9,000 steps. I'm not up to 10, but I will always try to uh, satisfy my rings as my <laughs> satisfy my rings on my Apple Watch so that I, I get my exercise every day. Without that exercise, I'll be honest, I feel crappy the next day. So, yes, I do have a routine. And I, I find I, I, I think now I need it even more structured. Um, and that's actually one of the tasks I'm going to do this week is to structure it so that I can, I can really uh, focus uh, on everything I need to do to, uh, you know, to grow even bigger. Now, I, I believe that you work from your home. You don't have a, an, an office that you go to. Is that correct? Yeah, I work from home. How much discipline does it actually take for you? And what was, how was it for you to actually create a structure for yourself that you got up in the morning, you're at home, and then you had to go to work, but you were working in your home? So I've spoke with others that have bumped up against I'm in my home and I get distracted and whether it's yard work or laundry or washing windows or whatever, whatever it is, it's like easy to get distracted in a home environment. Did you, did you find that same challenge or were you pretty focused on what you were trying to achieve? Pretty focused. I find that what I, I like my place to be neat and tidy. I mean, I'm a neat and tidy person, uh, but I will let things go for a couple of days until I say, oh, I can't stand any stuff on the countertop there. I will, I will get stuff done in preference to doing the washing, uh, that kind of thing. No, I, I find it fairly easy to focus. And I know that those morning hours are golden. You know, after a while, I don't know, I think my head always got fuzzy. You know, your head by four in the afternoon, five in the afternoon, that's time to go for my walk because I need to let my neurons settle down. But no, I, I find it easy to focus. Um, being at home actually means it's nicer. I save time. I don't have to drive to work and, you know, look at 20 minutes, 40 minutes a day that is wasted time. Uh, although, you know, now we have podcasts. So time in the car isn't wasted as much as it used to be. Well, I was going to say, you know, the opposite of that, of course, I find myself is that I can, I, I do, I work from both home and the office. And so I can find myself actually, <laughs> you know, it's ongoing. There's always more work to do and more things that I want to accomplish. And, and so it can be the total opposite of that. Of uh, I find that I work uh, perhaps maybe too much sometimes and I don't shut down because I go, okay, just 10 more minutes and I'll, you know, then I'll wind it down. Yeah. <laughs> the same way. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's, it's, it's an interesting part, you know, and, and one of the things that Stephanie and I, as you, you have some awareness around it, we're, we're both in different businesses. We're both self-employed. We're both, you know, got staff and teams and gosh, we're on an ongoing basis. And, and I've been asked many times over the years, like, when do you not work? And I've always found that question, I guess what it does, is it grounds me in how fortunate I am because I don't look at what we're doing as work. And it's just my life. And I'm sometimes as Stephanie and I are sitting on our deck over, you know, with a beautiful view that we have here in the Fraser Valley, 
I'm, we are just so grateful for the life that we have because our businesses, the work that we do with people, the achievements that we're, we're destined to uh, attain are, it's just part of our life and it's, it's fantastic. And do I need a rest? Absolutely. Do I get tired? Absolutely. But I never wake up in the morning going, oh, it's a grind and life. And so I'm very, very blessed that way. And as I'm speaking with you today, and because we're having a video call, you know, I see the energy that you have, Sue, and you just seem very, very excited about life and where you're at. And, and I'm, I'm actually inspired and, and now I'm looking forward to being 71 years old as I turn 60 <laughs> very soon. So. Congratulations on the upcoming <laughs> So that's great. So as we wind down the show here today, Sue, you know, I, I like to end it with some just some fun stuff and uh, rapid fire questions. And, uh, you know, these are just to uh, get your brain fired and have a little bit of fun. So uh, you ready for some rapid fire questions? Deep breath. Yep. Okay. These aren't hard. So what's a book that you would recommend or what's a book that you gift as a, as a kind of a common thing, if there is one? I think if I look back, the, the book that spoke to me most as I went through my self-development um, was a book called The Psychology of Self-Esteem by Nathaniel Brandon. Uh, it's it's quite a cerebral book. And at that point, when I was still at the cerebral stage, it was exactly what I needed to delineate my values and my core beliefs. So for me, it would be The Psychology of Self-Esteem by Nathaniel Brandon. What's your favorite swear word, Sue? I haven't got a favorite swear word, but the, the F word comes up. I mean, it's interesting. The F word is almost, I don't know, everybody uses it these days. I try not to, but I do sometimes. Well, an F-bomb I think is so appropriate. You know, somebody once told me that using, uh, you know, swearing or using colorful language in that way just means that you don't have a great handle on a vocabulary that can handle, you know, expressing. And, and I go, no, I don't think so. I think it's like an exclamation point. You need to use it every so often. It's, it's like punctuation that's powerful. You know, that's my own <laughs> view of it. So, you know, F-bond's pretty common. Uh, do you have a favorite inspirational quote? There's one that I use quite a bit. I've got a lot. I mean, I have a huge catalog of inspirational quotes. I love them. But I think one that's relevant for today because I do think we're living in such an exciting time of change, which can be scary. But there is one um, old Chinese proverb, which is an old Chinese proverb, that when the winds of change blow, some people build walls and others build windmills. And so we all have a choice as to whether we build a wall or a windmill. And I like that one because I think it focuses folks' brains as to which way they're going to go in life. So you were in the medical field and now you're an entrepreneur. Is there a profession other than what you did as an anesthesiologist that you, or you're an entrepreneur today, is there another profession that you would have taken on or is of high interest to you? Yeah, I, I could easily have been a historian and I just don't think it would have been active enough for me, but that's my history. Social science is just general reading about the world is, is my relaxation. And so I could easily have been a historian. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you hit the gates? <laughs> You're done good. <laughs> Excellent. On a scale of one to 10, how weird are you, Sue? 12. 12. 
No, nah, I don't think you are. I think you're like maybe <laughs> maybe a four. What are you just not very good at? What am I not very good at? I think at the moment I'm focusing on closing more sales. I've got to be much better at closing sales. That's my current not very good at goal. So you got to ask for the deal. That's, you know, number one, rule number one for salespeople, you know, ask for the sale. You got to do it. So interesting. Room, desk, or car. You say you're a bit of a neat and tidy freak. What do you clean first? Room, desk, or car? My kitchen. Your kitchen. Okay, there you go. That's a good one. Didn't have that one on there as an option, but I get it. Do you have a favorite tune, a favorite song? I uh, I would think anything by Johann Sebastian Bach. Ah. Uh, I love, I mean, I, I grew up playing the flute in orchestras. I haven't done it for a long time because I live in a condo and I don't want to kind of if, if, you know, put that on people. Gosh, you don't want to crank uh, up the flute. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, the walls aren't that good. So uh, there's a guy who plays his bagpipes just down the road. Oh, and my I'm gosh. Thinking, <laughs> That's so, great. So I think I'm, I'm very much in the classical world. And, and I, I have a sadness that to a certain extent that's going away. Uh, but that's, that's where my heart is. Favorite movie? Mm, yes. The Shawshank Redemption. Great movie. Yeah. I love it. I, I, the, the Count of Monte Cristo, which it's based on, I must have read that novel three or four times. Uh, I love it. What are you grateful for, Sue? Waking up this morning. Awesome. Simple as that. And I'm grateful you woke up this morning as well. And I'm grateful for you being on the show. And Sue, I just want to say thank you so much for your time, your energy, your wisdom. And uh, appreciate that you were uh, joining me today on the Everyday Millionaire podcast. So thank you pleasure has been mine. It has been a beautifully probing, deep podcast. Thank you, Patrick. You have a great talent. Thanks, Sue. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.